Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Healthier Together podcast. I'm your host, Liz Moody, and I'm a best-selling author and longtime journalist. This podcast is all about helping you live your healthiest, happiest life, whether we're learning doctor-approved brain health tips, unlocking the keys to loving our bodies exactly the way that they are, or working on developing positive aging beliefs to add seven years to our lives. And yes, those are all real episodes, so if any of those topics sound good to you, scroll on back in the archives. This is a really fun episode just because I feel like this time of year when I'm traveling and hanging out with family, I want something fun and chatty to listen to. I am so excited to welcome Dr. Jennifer Freed to the podcast. Dr. Freed is wildly unique because not only does she have her PhD in psychology, but she's also a world-renowned astrologer. In fact, she combines her expertise in both disciplines to practice what she calls psychological astrology. She currently has a client waitlist of almost two years, and she's a regular contributor to Goop and Maria Shriver's newsletter, The Sunday Paper. Plus, she's been featured in publications like The New York Times, The Wall Street Journal, USA Today, People Magazine, Vogue, and many more. She published her beautiful second book, A Map to Your Soul, this fall. Whether you're an astrology fan or a skeptic, this episode has a ton of inspiring and useful tips and advice. To be completely honest, I'm somewhere in between. I love talking about astrology, and I love even more that I'm a Leo, which is something that I feel like all Leos say, which is fair because we are the best sign, but I also find myself talking down the more sciencey side of my brain about it. Like, no, I love it. I want to enjoy it. And also, there are so many crazy things that resonate so well that it's kind of hard to convince myself are pure coincidence. I heard someone once say that astrology gives us language and permission to get into the meat of our personalities in a way that a lot of people can find uncomfortable otherwise. Like, you might not walk up to someone and be like, oh, I can come across really bitchy and I worry a lot about financial security, but you would be like, oh, I'm a Capricorn rising. So I thought that was a really fun way to think about it. On this episode, we talk about a simple explanation of sun, moon, and rising signs, how to approach conflicts in your life from an astrological lens, exactly how to tap into your most fulfilling sex life based on your sign, the truth about whether certain signs are more compatible or incompatible, the ideal wellness practice to incorporate for each sign, the best way to combat feeling limited by the labels of astrology, if things like Mercury and retrograde actually mean anything, specific advice for each of the signs going into 2023, and we also talk about so many things outside of astrology, like how to embrace aging, how to be a good friend, what it means to live a fully expressed life, how to access spirituality in your everyday life regardless of religion, a beautiful morning routine practice that will change the shape of your entire day, and so much more. Dr. Fried and I would both love to hear your thoughts as you're listening to the episode, so definitely screenshot and tag us both on Instagram. I am at Liz Moody, and she is at Dr. Jennifer Freed. If something really resonates with you from this conversation, please share it with somebody that you love. I know we all have like 10 friends who need permission to lean into different ideas of what it means to be good in bed, and everyone wants to know what 2023 is going to hold for them, so send that link around. Thank you, thank you, thank you for continuing to share the podcast and help me grow this wonderful community. I love and appreciate every single one of you. And one very, very important announcement before we get into the episode. If you haven't heard yet, we have now officially launched three brand new Healthy Convoco games just in time for the holidays. We have our Raunchier Together game, which is perfect for building intimacy and having fun with your friends or partner. 
our working together game, which is meant for everything from Zoom meetings to mentorship sessions to happier happy hours, and our We're All In This Together deck, which is so unique because it's a journaling prompt deck that's actually designed to change the direction of your life. They all make perfect holiday gifts, so I highly recommend stocking up. Head to healthyconvo.co to get your hands on them before we sell out. Again, that is healthyconvo.co. All right, let's get right into it with Dr. Jennifer Freed. Jennifer, I am so excited to talk to you today. I love astrology. I love your beautiful book, so I'm really excited to get into all of it. Well, I love astrology, and I love your show, and so I want to get into it. Okay, so let's start off. I want to acknowledge the skeptic in me, and I really want to acknowledge my husband and my dad and all of these people who are like, astrology, whatever. I love astrology. I'm a Leo sun. I'm a Sagittarius moon. I really relate to both of those things. And my husband is an Aquarius sun, which I don't relate to the traits that go with that literally at all. But then there's this part of my brain that's like, well, is everyone born around the same time as me going to be like bossy and want attention and always wanting to be center stage, how can that possibly be possible? So I would love for you as somebody who also has this science background, I would love for you to explain how you think about astrology. I think of it as a map to your soul. And just like a roadmap, it doesn't tell you how fast you're going to get there, how many stops you're going to make, what interference you're going to find, right? And who's driving. So I see it as a map of divine possibilities. There's possibilities laid out for you. It's your earth school curriculum. It's really your free will, how you're going to operate that map. And what's the how and the why of it? Like, how do you think about why would the stars being in one place when I was born impact my life in any way? It's a concept from Jungian psychology called synchronicity. It's not a cause experience. It is a this is so experience. So I don't think of it as this caused this. I think of it like love. You fall in love and people can't quantify that for you. It's an experience you have and it's really profound and it really resonates. I think the cosmos being enchanted and speaking to us is like mythic poetry. It just is. I think that's a really beautiful way to look at it. So let's get into some of the nitty gritty of how to read that map. Can you explain to me in the simplest way possible, the concept of a sun, moon, and rising sign? Like how do each of those impact our personality? The sun is your basic battery and identity. So whatever sign your sun is in is going to speak to kind of how you fuel the rest of your personality. If you really bank on the positive qualities of Sagittarius, then the rest of you will feel very imbued with light. The moon is your non-negotiable emotional needs. The moon is the interior. What do you need inside yourself to be fulfilled? The rising is how you appear to others when they first meet you. What is your social persona? I'm Capricorn rising, but my moon is Sagittarius and my sun is Leo. And I feel like on my inside, I'm this wanderer, explorer, performer, like all these things. But then because I'm Capricorn rising, I'm like, do I just come off to people as like a cold, hard bitch? You know what I mean? <laughs> Capricorn just feels very regimented for how I think about myself. When you first meet somebody with Capricorn rising, you get a more austere energy. 
I don't want that. <laughs> well, that's the thing is the rising sign you don't have any control over. It's just like what shows up when somebody first meets you. However, you can really work on warming up to people and letting them see your funny, funky Leo and Sagittarius. And Capricorn rising is exceptionally useful at getting things done and being highly ambitious. So I wouldn't throw that out. What's your sun, moon, and rising? I am, like your husband, an Aquarius. And I have a Taurus moon and a Sagittarius rising. If you had to explain yourself in a nutshell based on that, what would that mean? Well, there's so much more to my chart than that, but I can just say if that were all you knew about me, Aquarius, visionary, mind, mental, head, logic, Taurus moon, needy, greedy, and very materialistic and sensual, Sagittarius rising, joyful, exuberant, and wanting freedom at any cost. The Sagittarius thing is so interesting to me because I've spent the last two years living nomadically. And then my husband and I have been trying to like make a long-term commitment to a place. And I'm having the world's hardest time doing that. And I'm like, is that my Sagittarius moon coming through? Like, was my Sagittarius moon not let me stop this wanderlust lifestyle? No, I think that would have to do more with what we call transits and cycles. When you are in, which I believe you're in, a Uranus transit, there is a sense that you cannot settle down. You have to keep exploring and experimenting. So it wouldn't be the natal chart that would necessarily say you can't settle right now. It would be passing influence of another planet. And that's usually Uranus that makes you feel restless and like, I don't want to put down roots right now. Oh, that's interesting. How much do you feel like we can use astrology to tell what's coming up next in the future? Like how much can we use it to make decisions about what's next in our life? I think that's a great question. I don't use astrology to plan my life and I'm a major psychological astrologer, but I think it's the best tool ever to understand the time you're in. So when I'm in a time and I can refer to the archetypes and the universal patterns that are running through me at this moment, it's very calming, it's very reassuring and very inspiring. So I have used my cycles in astrology to do certain amazing things that would be best fitting for that time. Then you have this whole other thing that you talk about in the book, which is the elements, the fire and air and water and earth. Can you explain how that plays into things? As human beings, we all have in common these four elements that help us exist, literally. Fire, air, earth, and water. Without them, we cannot survive. But in terms of qualities, fire is the dynamic, the passionate the bold, the decisive. Earth is the stable, the solid, the reliable, the slow. Air is the open, spacious, objective, inspiring, breathtaking. And water is the feeling, the compassion, the empathy, the loving. And we need all four of these qualities to be fully expressed and to be helpful to others. And how do we know what elements exist in what quantity inside each of us? And does that change over time? Yes, it can change over time. And the best way to know is to ask yourself, so I'm going to ask you, Liz, when I set those four different elements, which did you relate to the most? Probably the fire. 
Exactly, because you're Leo Sagittarius. Okay, me too. I relate to the fire the most. Which is your weakest, would you say? The earth, I think. So that is how you know. You're the expert. You look at the four elements. You go, wow, I'm really strong on fire, but a little weaker on earth. And then you work concertedly with help to get more earthy so that the fire has grounding and stability and isn't so tempestuous and impulsive. Could you give us maybe one tip to get a little stronger in each element if we feel like that's our weakest element? For fire, the best way to get that quality going is to do something massively fast in cardio. So like run in place, or now I just learned shuffle dancing. You've got to work up the heat in the body. And you've got to really, you know, stimulate, if you're not a fiery type, that kind of thrilling feeling of warming things up and getting them going fast. Earth, go put your feet on the ground and stand like a tree for five minutes and feel your feet on the earth, sucking up the earth energy and be as solid and unmoving as a tree. Air, write a letter expressing everything you ever wish you could say to somebody. Do not send it. But air is the mind and you want to communicate. And people that lack air lack this ability to just improvise and communicate. They're very shy or reticent. So you want to just write something, free form. Don't edit. Don't send. But let the words fly. And for water, the best thing you can do is listen to really sensitive emotional music and lay down and put your hand on your heart and say, I'm willing to feel everything. It's the receptive. It's not the active. Your fire is very active. So you want to balance all of this out. And then you mentioned living a fully expressed life, that being the goal. You talk about that in the book too. Can you share what that means to you? For me, living a fully expressed life is really delving into the native gifts you were given from the time you were born, and we all have them, and making your major effort to deliver on all these gifts. And to live a fully expressed life would be to say that if you died tomorrow, you left nothing on the table. You did it all, you said it all, you felt it all, and you really don't feel incomplete in terms of what you were able to create with the gifts you were given. How should we go about doing that? I think you read my book, A Map to Your Soul. It covers 12 areas of life, and you do all the inventories, and you get very, very clear, where am I less expressed? It's very easy to do once you spend the time assessing it. And I do feel fully expressed. That doesn't mean I'm good at everything. In fact, I suck at a lot of things. But for the gifts I've been given, I feel like I've taken them all the way. And I wouldn't have said that 20 years ago. The other thing I want to say to your listeners, I'm turning 65 and I'm super proud to be older I think women are always trained to think they should be younger. And I'm thinking, no way. I've become who I am because I put in the time and the work. But I didn't really go after my life until I was like 38. And I had a lot of trauma and things I was working through that prevented me from really believing in myself and doing what I could do. But I did the therapy and I did the work and I got the support. And so I'm sitting here today saying, 
If I die tomorrow, I know I have gone for it and I've given my gifts imperfectly, but I wouldn't go to my deathbed feeling incomplete. And that's the thing you want to ask yourself. Where in my life haven't I really expressed my gifts or developed my talents? I love that whole notion. I think there is this idea that if we haven't accomplished everything we want to accomplish, both internally and externally in life, in our like late 20s or 30s, it feels like people talk about on social media these days that it's going to be too late and that there's this timeline we have to adhere to. And I love seeing people, and especially women, talk about the fact that your life can be full and rich and inspiring and satisfying at all of these different phases of life. I really want to let all of your younger listeners know that if you're really living a fully expressed life, you're going to have many incarnations of yourself in this one life. You are not going to follow a straight line. My friend Graham has a great quote. He says, look to contribute more than you're trying to capture. Look to contribute more than you're trying to capture. And that's my attitude. I'd rather make your life better every day then try to get something from you because that energy is so contagiously good. There is so much incredible science behind red light therapy. There's research going all the way back to 1903 that won a Danish physician a Nobel Prize for showing that exposure to concentrated red light accelerated physical healing. And research from NASA has shown that it boosts the production of growth factor proteins and collagen, among many other incredible things. I am obsessed with red light therapy. It is so science-supported, and I've personally seen huge, huge benefits. I use Bond Charge's Max Red Light Therapy device, which is a red light panel, so I'm not limiting its benefits to my face. I feel like the masks are so popular right now, but I would like to expose my entire body to the red light. That way, it helps with not only my skin, my collagen production, but also increasing energy, decreasing pain, repairing cellular damage, improving mental health and cognitive function, and so much more. You are not spending that much more money to get a panel versus a mask, but you get a much more versatile device with way more powerful effects. Bond Charge's Max Red Light Therapy device gives you professional-grade equipment straight at your home for the best price that I have seen anywhere. You can stand your Max panel on the floor on any flat surface, or you can hang it on the back of a door. It is really lightweight, and it is so easily stored away in the closet when you are done using it for the day. You only need 10 to 20 minutes, so Zach and I actually meditate in front of it naked, uh, but there's lots of ways that you can habit stack it into your routine, so you do whatever sounds good to you. Check out Bond Charge's Max Red Light Therapy device now on bondcharge.com and use my exclusive promo code LizMoody at checkout. Bond Charge products are all HSA, FSA eligible, giving you tax-free savings of up to 40%. And for a limited time on top of that, my listeners will get 15% off when you order from bondcharge.com and use my exclusive promo code Liz Moody at checkout. That is B-O-N-C-H-A-R-G-E.com. You will also get free shipping and a 12-month warranty. Go now to get this exclusive offer. That is bondcharge.com with promo code Liz Moody to get 15% off. 
I have been looking for a quality fish oil to take myself and recommend to you for years, and I genuinely couldn't find one that met my quality standards. And then I kept hearing from doctors on the pod about how important it was for our brains and our hearts, even dermatologists who said it makes a huge difference for our skin. And I was like, okay, I truly need to figure this out. Then I found O3 Ultra Pure Fish Oil from Puri. The brand was literally created because the founder ran into the same problem as me. He couldn't find anything truly pure enough to take daily. Puri believes in full transparency with all of their products. Every single batch is third-party tested by the Clean Label Project and IFOS, which tests fish oils looking for the highest quality, safety, and purity standards in the world against more than 200 contaminants, heavy metals, pesticides, glyphosate, dioxins, and bisphenols, to name a few, and they always receive a 5 out of 5 star rating. Every Puri bottle actually comes with a QR code so you can scan and see the results for yourself. This is well above the standards of any other fish oil I've found, which is so important to me because if I am consuming something for my health, I don't want it to actually be causing harm. Puri's fish oil is so fresh, you'll never get any gross, fishy burps because every batch is tested to make sure it hasn't oxidized and gone rancid. And yes, that is where those burps come from. Do not just take my word. With Puri, you can find actual data behind every single batch, which makes Puri a supplement brand that you can trust. Right now, Puri is offering my listeners 20% off their O3 Ultra Pure Fish Oil and all of their great products. Go to my special URL, puri.com slash Liz Moody, and use my promo code Liz Moody. This even applies to the already discounted subscriptions. You will get almost a third off the price. Go to puri.com slash L-I-Z M-O-O-D-Y. Do not wait. Use promo code Liz Moody at P-U-O-R-I dot com slash Liz Moody. How does that play out in your life? Like, could you give a few examples of ways in which you change the structure of your day to contribute more than get back? Well, I spend most all my days trying to make other people's lives better and promote them. So especially as an older woman, I mentor many younger women. I help them get their start in therapy as I'm a therapist. I help them with their writing. I talk to them about how to write or publish a book. I'm all about creating possibilities for other people because I promise you, the more you do that, the more good things happen for you. It's funny because it almost feels selfish in a sense because you're like, oh, my life will be better if I give back in all of these ways. It is selfish in the best of all ways. See, selfish can be a word that we reclaim as women. Selfish, you know, it's actually extremely healthy to do something that benefits you if it adds benefit to others. And let's call that selfish because that's the best selfishness you could ever have. Increase your own happiness and others will always feel better around you. I would love some of your advice as both a therapist and also from the astrological perspective in some of the different domains or astrological houses that you go through in the book. I would love one piece of advice for figuring out what our strengths are and living a life that celebrates those strengths. It starts with what do you value? So let's say a fire value would be authenticity. A earth value would be security. An air value would be communication. A water value would be connection. So first you have to look in the book in chapter two and actually 
declare what are your core values because it comes from the inside. When we know our core values, then we can externalize those into dreams and desires and behaviors. So the first thing you have to do is clarify what matters to you and are you living a life that honors that? And then if we clarify what matters to us, let's say communication, what's the next step to playing into that strength, especially if you don't feel like your life is at this moment aligned with that strength? That's a great question. So let's take communication. Communication is about being responsive, proactive, and being a great listener. So often we think communication is blah, 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 blah. That is one third of communication. Being a great listener is what creates communication value. And so I teach a lot to people. What is the difference between sharing and listening? Listening requires four things. Presence, absolute attention, no distraction. Asking the right questions instead of giving advice. Being someone that can hear difficult things and not insert yourself. Just be quiet and receive them. And four, listening is being able to remember and reflect back what somebody has actually said. Most people are horrible listeners. So if you want to be a great communicator, start by being a great listener. Secondly, be a consistent reliable friend. Like for me, I text four of my friends, they're my closest, every single day. Every single day. It's not a big deal to me, and I don't take a lot of time doing it. But I want them to know I'm thinking about them. They love that. They don't text me, some of them, every day, but pretty soon they do. So we just have this rhythm of staying in touch. So If you want to be a great communicator, you actually have to make an effort to let people know you're thinking about them when you don't have, I need something from you, because that's obnoxious. You only call or write when you need something. And you have to be there for them to really listen so they feel cared about. I'm curious if there's any way on the flip side, if you feel like people aren't being a good friend to you or people aren't listening to you. Is there anything you can do to facilitate that? Or is it just like, I need to do as well as I can in my life and that's all I can do? Well, maybe start considering changing up some of your people because you can't change people, but you can change who you're spending time with. And I think it's essential you spend time with people that are mutual and reciprocal and that you're not doing the heavy lifting. I've had a few occasions with friends where I've had to say to them, listen, I've reached out to you a lot and you haven't reached back and that really hurts. And that's my entree. And then if they get it and they start reaching out, we're good. If they hear me and then they don't do anything about it, then it's for me to decide that's not a really good friendship. And I just drift and distance a little bit because I think to have a true equal sense of communication and caring. You don't have to always be scorecard like you did and I did, but you have to have an overall sense that somebody is putting in the time and energy you are. 
Let's do another house from the book from an astrological, psychological perspective. I would love one piece of advice for tapping into our creative selves. Well, for me, that's the easiest part of me is tapping into the creative because I'm a free child. I'm a weirdo. Is that something on your chart? Yes. And my mother. Yes. I actually love, wait, really fast. I love the idea that you said, I, I think that that's just like a perfect encapsulation of your approach is you're like, it's something in my chart and it's my mother. It's both. I think that that's a really nice way to encompass how you think about these things. Thank you for pointing that out. That's as a psychologist and astrologer, I'm always thinking both. What is the biography? What is the chart? So for me, in my chart, I have what's called moon trine Mercury. Easy for me to express. I have a freak flag aspect in my chart. I have Uranus opposite Sun Venus, and I have that Sag rising. So for me, being spontaneous and uninhibited is like the water I drink. But for other people, creativity is much harder because they have all this critic. My partner has a major critic and they have, you know, concerns and what will it look like and all of that. So the whole chapter in creativity is starting to diagnose how do you enter the creative process? Do you go quick at it? Do you approach, you know, very carefully? And then starting to borrow from those other elements. Like air signs like to talk a lot before they do a thing creative. That is their creative thing. Lots of talking foreplay. Earth signs like to map it out, make the agenda, write it all, get the point. You know, that's how they do it. Fire signs like, let's just do it. I don't want to think about it. And why do we have to even plan it? Let's just jump, you know. And then water signs want to really feel their way into it and see if it feels right. And if, wait, the room's off, the lighting's wrong. You know, it's like a lot of condition around how it's going to feel. But when you want to approach your creative life, first of all, rule number one, you were born to create. There's not a person on this planet that isn't creative. When people say to me, I'm just not that creative, it stabs me in my heart. Stabs me in my heart because everyone's here to create. We all do it very differently. You know, my partner makes the best food you'll ever eat and spends a lot of time with how she prepares stuff. That's creativity. I don't do that. Another friend of mine creates by floral design. When you get a bouquet from her, you're gobsmacked. It's so gorgeous. And that's her art. So we have to stop belittling creativity because we're not rappers or, you know, Lady Gaga. It's like, no, everybody's creative. We just have to figure out what's our path. And the elements can help us do that. If you really like water, you might like get in the bath and just record some stuff to yourself on voice memo. Don't drop your phone. If we're listening and I can immediately, like my husband, 100% loves to talk through everything. And I am like, let's go, let's go. And we work together. So butts against each other quite frequently. Or my sister, who has probably the most water in her chart of anybody I know, is sort of like feeling into everything. So if we're listening and we're like, yes, that's me, 100%, is the goal to lean into that, to let the air signs talk it through, talk it through, talk it through? Or is it to balance it and have the air signs lean into some of the more earth sign 
So for example, I'm super fiery, my partner and I also work together very much likes to talk every bit through. It drives me insane. And my fireness drives her insane. You're so bossy. You're so dominating. You're, you know, all of it's true. But here's the real magic formula. If we had the three of you here, you identify as fire, he's air, your sister's water. You could take a situation at work and you could literally role play. I'm going to be air. You're going to be earth and you're going to be fire. Because when we really access the other parts of ourselves that we've been ignoring, then the creativity flourishes. And what's really cool is when you take somebody else's perspective, let's say you took the air from your husband. I'm going to talk this through. No, we aren't finished yet. Let's really dive in. Have you considered this? What about that? Watching his face is worth it all. So I'm immediately like, he's not into astrology. So I couldn't be like, oh, take on my fire sign element. And I'm going to take on your air sign element. Could I just take on his air sign element so I can get that sense of empathy without having to get his buy-in as somebody who is more of a skeptic and not into this stuff? Of course. But you could also break it down for your Aquarius husband of, we all have styles of participating in this company. And my style is bossy, immediate, impulsive. Your style is thoughtful, reflective, and sometimes overanalyzing. And our sister style is maybe a little bit too reactive and too emotional about things. What if today we just switched it up and I'll be the one asking all the questions and reflecting you be the one to just think of what we could do right away. And she could be the person that is really just holding the ground and being stable and just watching the show. That's so interesting. I feel like that could completely change how disagreements happen in so many facets of our lives. It's just a really interesting way of, in a very concrete, pragmatic way of walking in somebody else's shoes. Which I really yes, like. and thank you for acknowledging that because my Mercury's in Capricorn and my Moon's in Taurus. So even though I'm this wild, inspired psychological astrologer, everything I do is meant to be practical. Everything. I don't want it to be airy fairy. I'm not interested in like oh, blow your mind unless you can walk on your feet toward the goal. Absolutely, I loved the whole part about sex, and we have a whole house and a domain that's all about sex. So could we do a piece of advice for having great sex and having a really fulfilling sex life based on our dominant element? So the whole chapter on sex includes a lot of inventories for you to really get clear how you like it, how you like to touch yourself, how you like to engage in sex. And I think that we've been fed a huge pack of lies that sex should be just automatic, great chemistry, never have to wonder a thing and mind read like crazy. And everybody I've talked to that has any type of sexual relationship at some point realizes there's actually a lot unspoken and I don't know and they don't know. And it would be great if we could be closer and understand each other better. So through the elements, we start to realize that we have certain tendencies not bad, we just do. But there's a lot of other tendencies. 
And if you were to do the sex inventory with your partner, then you start to realize, oh, I like it fast and hot and immediate. They like it slow and really careful. They're really sensitive and want to just hold for a while and not get right to it. And they like a lot of dirty sex communication. You know, you start to realize there's so many choices. And when you start to communicate and understand what those choices might be, your sexual repertoire can increase rapidly. It occurs to me as you're saying that, that even the way that we colloquially talk about hot sex would just be sort of representing one elemental way of having sex. We're like, oh, I want like fiery, burning passion. And it connotes even subconsciously the idea that the best sex just occurs in this one element versus that there could be great sex that might be more water dominant or air dominant or earth dominant. You're very, very bright to point that out because my big contention is we've been given through movies really only this one version of hot sex, which is very athletic, very fast, no foreplay. And that is one thing, but it's one out of a hundred. And I know from experience, because I talk to all my friends about sex, the ones that are single and having sex and the ones that are long time married. And some people's best sex is laying there holding each other for a half an hour and talking and joking before they have penetration. People want all different things and we shouldn't at all make it a one menu item. Is there in a nutshell sort of what somebody who does feel more airy, more watery, more earthy, a type of sex you would maybe encourage them to experiment with for each one based on that element? For the earthy people, they really need a lot around textures. They need like soft surfaces, candles, warm environments, really beautiful lingerie or boxers or whatever people are into. And It's all about lusciousness, like create luscious oils, smells, you know, that's the earthy stuff. Water people, it's really nice and beautiful to have a bath together first or to actually like talk first about how you feel toward each other and what you mean to each other and gaze into each other's eyes. It's like a much more, I want to be connected. And air people definitely should talk about the kind of sex they want and where they're going to have sex and talk through it and tell fantasies. It's a lot of talking and a lot of reflecting on sex. And then we know the fire people because throw it down, people. Just get to it. That makes me wonder, are there signs that like definitely go together and signs that just aren't ever going to work it out? No, there's no truth to that. Because the sun signs only one-tenth of the chart, you have to look at the whole chart. But I've never found any validity in, oh, an Aquarius shouldn't be with a Taurus because it's just one part. You've got to look at the whole chart. And there is no such thing as incompatible. There's just who's going to be more at ease with somebody and less at ease. But even in those cases, some people like harder dynamics. And they really do like them harder. It would just be 
here's a way to maybe identify what some challenges you're facing and some tools to deal with those challenges. Not like you guys aren't compatible. You, you shouldn't be together. Right. I'll give you an example. I'm an Aquarius and I'm not particularly family minded. I'm human minded. So my family is as important to me as my friends. I don't distinguish. My partner's a cancer. So for her family is like sacred. It's everything. So we're together 26 years. We have to work that out constantly because we love each other. I want her to have family be primary. She wants me to have my friends be primary, but we have to make a lot of decisions so both people get what they want. And you understanding that is the thing probably that helps you. Yeah, I don't take it personally. I just go, wow, that's a really big need of hers and I better really honor that. And we really do have to talk about these things and make room for each other's preferences. Is that similar for overall charts? Like, are there people where you're like, ooh, this is a pretty stinky chart or people who you're like, ooh, you're going to have a really wonderful life. This is a really great chart. There's much harder charts and easier charts is the way I would say it. Life isn't fair. The one thing astrology's taught me is anyone that believes everyone's getting a fair shot is completely delusional. People come in with much harder circumstances, much harder charts, and they have a lot more work to do on themselves and in the world than others. So I never see that as bad because I think we signed up for the soul course. But I also don't want to act like, well, you know what it's like because I've got this problem too. The problems aren't parallel. That makes sense. My favorite health hacks are the ones that have the biggest payoffs for the smallest amounts of effort. And this is such a good one. When you are drinking your tea or coffee in the morning, just add one packet or scoop of Great Lakes Wellness Collagen Peptides. I definitely was a bit of a collagen skeptic until I had dermatologist Dr. Whitney Bowe on the podcast. You can scroll back to her Ask the Doctor episode. She said it is not a myth. There is research to support how great collagen is for your skin. And then, of course, I did my own deep dive and I was so impressed with the known benefits for things like your skin, your hair, and your joint health. Studies show that collagen can help improve your skin's hydration, which is something that I am especially looking for during this time of year when everything just feels a little bit drier. Zach likes the marine collagen, and then I like the grass-fed beef collagen, but both are incredibly well-sourced and certified by third parties, which is the number one thing that I look for. And since I've started incorporating collagen into my everyday routine, I have noticed strong and healthy nails, and my hair feels thicker and fuller, which we love. And Zach's knees are feeling so good despite all of the time that he is spending running. One of my favorite things about the Great Lakes Wellness Collagen Peptides is that I cannot taste them at all and they dissolve so well in hot and cold beverages. Not all collagen can dissolve in cold beverages and some days you just want an iced tea. To try out Great Lakes Wellness Collagen Packets or their bigger tubs, use code LizMoody for 25% off. Yes, 25% off. That is a huge discount off of your first purchase at GreatLakesWellness.com. That is LizMoody for 25% off at GreatLakesWellness.com. If you have dry skin, this is going to be your holy grail. 
I've love, love, loved the Osea Andaria Algae Body Butter for years. It is so rich and creamy and lush, but it sinks right into your skin and it makes your entire body feel moisturized and not greasy at all. I actually do not understand how it's so not greasy and yet so, so hydrating. As fall approaches, I'm leaning into mini spa energy, these micro-relaxing moments you can insert throughout your day. Because peppering your day with tiny bits of calm can have huge impacts on overall cortisol levels, on your anxiety, even how you sleep at night, and the smell of the body butter. Holy cow, it is pure spa energy. You get that like laying on the massage table, melting energy. It is phenomenal. I've gone through at least four tubs of this personally, and that is saying something because it lasts a long ass time. A little bit goes a very long way. I also always keep extras on hand to give out as gifts. It uses ingredients that you would normally see in face care products like seaweed, ceramides, glycerin, which I am obsessed with for hydration and think is so underrated, amino acids, even a skin identical moisture complex. Also, here is a little tip. If you want to amp up its hydrating power even more, put it on damp skin right after the shower to really lock in all of that moisture and hydration. Like all Osea products, it's formulated with real seaweed to take advantage of its nutrient-rich benefits like deep moisturization. It's also vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified. Osea has actually been making seaweed-infused products that are safe for your skin and the planet for over 27 years. And I personally absolutely love how everything is ethically tested and sourced. For clean body care that gives you skincare level results, you've got to try Osea. And right now we have a special discount just for our listeners. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with promo code LizMoody at OseaMalibu.com. You'll get free samples with every order and orders over $60 get free shipping. While you're there, get the body butter, of course, but I'm also obsessed with the Vegas Nerve Oil and Pillow Mist, both of which help so much with my anxiety. I love rubbing the oil on my hands and inhaling deeply before I meditate to make it feel more intentional and calming and grounding. You are going to want it all. Go to OSEAMalibu.com, promo code LizMoody. The last domain or house that I want to dig into because this is a wellness podcast is the health house. So I would love to know what does astrology teach us about how we can each live our healthiest lives? Well, this is part astrology and part psychology, which you'll find in my book. The thing I have really come to understand is you cannot tell somebody, don't do this. That just doesn't work. You have to lean into your strengths and build them really strong in order to be less drawn to the bad things in life. So take me, for example, sometimes with my lazy Taurus moon, I can watch a little too much TV at night. I mean, that's just true. I can be a couch potato. So last night, I made myself go to a new hip hop class that started at 630 because I knew if I do that, I won't sit in front of the TV. And I love dancing. So you can't go, don't sit on the couch. That never works to me anyway. You have to pick something that is a better sensation and promise for your overall well-being. So the whole chapter on health and habits is we all have bad habits. We all have indulgences and weaknesses. There's not a person I've met that's squeaky clean. 
So then it's build up your positives so that the harder, more tempting negatives are less appealing. Could you share maybe one likely bad habit for each element and then maybe one habit that you would recommend people look into adopting for each element? For fire, I would say the worst habit is temper, anger, being a little bit snarky and snippy and like that. So instead of that, every hour, get up and run in place for five minutes. Wear yourself out a little bit. Okay. For earth, a very bad habit can be, like I just described, being lazy and kind of stuck. So movement is the only antidote for earth stuckness. you got to get out and move. And I know for me, sometimes the last thing I want to do, and it's never something I've regretted. So that's how I get myself to do it. Like, you know, you don't want to go take that walk, but have you ever come back from a walk and went, damn, I wish I didn't take that walk. Never. So there's that. For air, people with a lot of air literally might get into vaping and smoking too much because they want more breath, but they're doing it in a negative way, in my opinion. So people that need better air can start a breathing practice. There's so much now about breath. But if you're really getting full, beautiful breath and oxygenating your whole body, you'll be much less tempted to fill it with bad crap, which vaping does, and so does smoking. And water. Water people, their worst habit is moods. They create negative moods like that. They're just very moody. And in order to really not give in to bad moods, you have to do a lot of mental reset, which is like an air process, where you stop, And you say to yourself in the moment, what is the gift in this situation? How can I be a sage, not a saboteur? And you actually have to ask yourself, what's the best possible thing to think in this moment? What is the idea or thought that will lead me to a better feeling? Is there a way to do that without kind of veering into delusion or toxic positivity is the idea that it's very pragmatic. I'm trying to get to a place. So how do I enable trying to get there? Yeah, it's in the moment. It's not toxic positivity and it's not spiritual bypass. So I'll give you an example. Somebody today emailed me that they hadn't followed through on a request that I had made 20 days ago. And in the moment, because I'm fiery, I'm so pissed and I'm resentful and I want to fire back the email. I have to breathe and ask myself, what's the best possible thought at this moment? And what I came up with is we're in communication now. It's going to get handled now. That's what's important. So it's not some fancy, you know, it's just getting into the facts of it. The feelings of it are not facts. Yeah, I'll often write out an email and then just let it sit in my drafts. And I usually don't end up sending any version of that email, but it's really helpful for me to just like type it out angrily. Yes. And for very watery, moody people, they get hijacked by moods in a nanosecond. So another thing for them to do is 
take their fingertips and just rub them together for one minute and just breathe and say, I'm okay. That works too. I heard on another podcast that you do like two hours of daily practices to recharge from the trauma, from therapy and the world and kind of all the energy that you're dealing with. I'm curious, what do you do in those two hours? Well, I usually wake up, I don't know about you with all that fire, but I wake up so excited early, too early. So let's say 5.30 or 6. So I lay in bed and I do a 20-minute Qigong practice, which is a energy type practice that I've learned. Then I do 10 or 15 minutes on qualities I want to embody in the day. And I do it through fire, earth, air, and water. So fire, authenticity, bravery, courage, you know, and I run through them and I do that in bed. Then I get up and I go downstairs and I do another 10 to 20 minutes of Qigong practice, which is more physical. And I go do What that. is Qigong for people who aren't familiar? It's a Chinese movement meditation that moves energy toward a positive direction, but it's based on movement. Then I come to my computer and I write a letter to the divine of my knowing, thanking the divine of my knowing for all the gifts that I've gotten in the previous day of love or support or actual things. And then I make a request to the divine of my knowing for this day. I'd like to be peaceful. I'd like to be great on this podcast. Help me do this. Help me do that. I write a letter. And then I always do a half an hour to an hour of exercise every day because if I don't move, which we've already talked about, I am not good. And then I meditate at night. What's your meditation practice? It's a funny practice. My partner teases me all the time. I sit up in bed before I go to bed. I lean over and I touch my toes and I do this whole meditation toward bringing in a channel of beautiful, beautiful light. And it can go anywhere from two minutes to 20 minutes. If somebody wanted to start just maybe like a five or 10 minute practice to help them handle some of the heaviness that we can all feel in the world these days, is there anything from that list or from somewhere else that you would recommend starting with? I think before you get out of bed, you should, and this is a should because it helps me so much, define the qualities you want to embody in the day and do it through the elements because then you're in balance. So I want to run that down for your listeners so they can see how easy it is. Okay, what do I want to embody in fire? Passion, dynamism, engagement, boldness, courage, earth. I want to be reliable, solid, steady, calm, grounded. Air, I want to be imaginative, thoughtful, reflective, inspiring, breathtaking. Water, I want to be kind and loving and caring and empathetic and compassionate. And I did this very fast. And when you're first in bed in the morning, you might not think that fast. But if you spend the time doing five qualities out of each element before you even get up, and this is how you want to be today, that is a very powerful antidote to the world because you're putting in this is my call not what the world's going to do to me it allows you to live 
I think more directionally and intentionally. Like you don't feel like you're being battered about in the waves. You feel like you're in a boat going through the waves in some way. Exactly. And I do think we're all so vulnerable when we first wake up and the world can be so assaultive. So one thing is anyone that turns on their phone or the news first, that is going to hurt you. Do this first. A lot of your book is about kind of like breaking free of these limiting beliefs that we have about ourselves. You have a chapter about the first impressions that we give off and how we can overcome that. And I wanted your take on the labels of astrology and whether you find them freeing or limiting in any way. Like on the first impression list for Leo, you have the self-label like I'm a performer. And I was like, yes, relate to that 100%. I am a performer. It's completely true. It shaped my life. But also I think sometimes for me, having that self-label has hurt my self-perception. I feel like I have to be a performer to have value and to have worth in this world. And I'm curious on your take on how knowing our traits via this astrological roadmap, how it sits in terms of being freeing and being limiting. Well, I think you've nailed it. It can be limiting or freeing depending how you use it. And I'm all about the freedom part. So you've identified that a stereotype of that Leo would be performing, but there's so much more depth to Leo. There's heartful, there's creative, there's shy, there's innocent. I think you use the stereotype as a portal to bust out. Like that's not all who you are. So I don't think labels in general, I'm not big on labels. I think when we have any kind of language that helps us describe something, it only goes so far. But I think the goal of growth and evolution is to become more than any label. You're not your brand name jeans. You just wear them. Your husband is not an Aquarius. He's a man that has an Aquarius son. We are so much more than what we have. But we always want to rest in the divine of our knowing. This is just a light that shines through us, but we are so much more. You say rest in our divine knowing, and then you had yourself writing that letter to yourself as part of your morning practice or writing the letter to the divine knowing. The spiritual side is something I really struggle with. And I know that you have a section about the house or domain that helps you get in touch with your spirituality. Could you give a little bit of advice in that realm for people who are having a little bit of, I would like to feel more spiritual and I have a hard time accessing that part of myself. Yeah, I hear that a lot from people. And I think there's a good reason for that because we've made it into something so commercial and kind of trendy, when it's very deep and personal. It's just what you find sacred in life, you know, whether it's nature or child laughter or the wind. I think it's connecting to something greater than your own self-interest is how I would put it. Something that moves you and inspires you and is a constant source of inspiration and maybe even comfort. And some people call that God, and some people call that nature, and some people call that literary theory. 
It doesn't matter. It's the practice of being devoted to something other than your ego on a daily basis. Because for me, the divine of my knowing is not a thing. It's a sense. It's a felt sense of something beautiful and magical in this world that I connect to. So if I'm listening to you list those things like a baby laughing or nature, would it be about finding the thing that resonates with me and then trying to sit in that more, incorporate that more into my life? Give it more attention. So, you know, religion had this down and it's failed a lot of people, but some people really still get it from religion. There's ritual, there's repetition, there's devotional practices, and people that therefore believe in that get a lot of neuropathway reinforcement. And so whatever it is that you find moving and inspiring and bigger than yourself Find a way to honor that on a daily basis because it will only give you more structure for your own well-being. When I write that letter every morning, I feel so happy, like happy. And it isn't because something is like talking back to me or you know, it's like I'm honoring something bigger and better than my little pea self. And that feels good. Well, and you've created this beautiful morning ritual around all that. I think it is smart to point out that religion kind of gives you a playbook of all of these rituals that you can incorporate into your life. And that's a very satisfying thing on this deep, emotional, resonant level. And you've created a morning that's filled with ritual. Yes. And I will tell you that all the research will tell you that repeated rituals help people feel calmer. And the world is highly anxious and disturbed right now. So whatever rituals you can incorporate in your life that feel authentic to you and reverent to you, even if it's the way you make your coffee and the way you put in the cream, but you bring an intentionality to it that this is me honoring coffee beans and the people that pick them. I mean, you can make anything into that, but it has to be repeated. And it has to be consistent. You mentioned that Mercury in retrograde is a meme. I don't want to let you go without finding out what your take is on Mercury. Like, why is it a meme if somebody is like, wait, no, I've definitely adhered to that so much. Well, I think Mercury goes retrograde a number of times a year. And during that time, we do feel more challenged around all forms of communication. But I definitely see people using astrology and mercury retrograde to rationalize everything. That's ridiculous. So at the best, mercury retrograde is a great opportunity to be more thoughtful and more deliberate with communications and be more patient. At the worst, it's people excusing all kinds of bad behavior because it's mercury retrograde. So I'm always about personal accountability. So if you think mercury retrograde is helping you be more in a effective and more conscientious. Good for you. Okay. I love that. And then I would just love to end with one piece of advice for each sort of dominant element as we go into 2023, maybe given what you know is happening on this more global level, what's one thing that you would say to an air person, a water person, an earth person, a fire person? The fire sign suns are Aries, Sagittarius, and Leo. 
And what I want to say to you about 2023 is it's going to be essential that you get enough cardio workout, even if it's 10 minutes a day full on, because it's your responsibility to be a calm agent of bold protectiveness in 2023. For the earth signs, Taurus, Virgo, and Capricorn, this year for you, 2023, you're going to have to take more risks of doing things that are out of your comfort zone to bring more aliveness to your body and to your soul. So you're going to have to try new things and not be so stodgy. For the air signs, Aquarius, Libra, and Gemini, 2023 is going to ask you to be so intentional on the messages you put out on social media and email, etc. Because we have no more room for enemy communications. We've got to come together. So the air signs particularly have to be ambassadors of positive communication. And for the water signs in 2023, you are going to have to mature emotionally. We're all going to be tested in different ways with the climate crisis and water shortages and water flooding and all that. And the water signs have to do much more grounding and stabilizing. So the best part of the water signs can come through Pisces, Cancer, Scorpio, that you actually help other people feel their feelings. You show them you can host big feelings with equanimity. I love that. Can you tell us a little bit in your own words about your beautiful book and any other work that you want to take a second to share with us? Thank you. I love this new book, A Map to Your Soul, because it came out of a lifetime of work and joy working with thousands of people. And it's my offering to everyone, whether they're interested in astrology or not, because I really want everyone to be able to partake. And if you actually do the book with yourself and others, there is no quicker way to become more aware socially and learn more about the people you care about the most. So I really hope people pick it up, a map to your soul. You can get it anywhere. If you go to jenniferfree.com and order it through the site and then give a receipt, you get hundreds of dollars of free gifts. And in terms of my work, I really just want to keep encouraging people to be fully expressed, do the best that they can give themselves a pat on the back and some forgiveness and participating as if this was their last chance because we're only here once. So I want full participation. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today, Jennifer. This has been absolutely lovely. Well, you're a great interviewer and I think your Capricorn rising is really working out for you because you're so organized I shouldn't shy Your away from it skills anymore. Are organized. No, you shouldn't. I think it's making it all work for you. I really do. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Okay. I love that. I could honestly talk about astrology all day, but I also feel like Dr. Freed's perspective is just so unique. I told her after we got off the recording that I've been looking for positive aging role models ever since the Dr. Becca Levy episode because I want to add those seven years to my life. And Dr. Freed is definitely on my list now. 
If you're new here, make sure that you're subscribed so you don't miss out on any future episodes. We have amazing ones coming up, including a new Ask the Doctor episode all about metabolism and another one about how literally anyone can get instantly smarter. So subscribe, subscribe, subscribe so you do not miss out on anything. And go to healthyconvo.co to get your hands on our three new conversation starting games, raunchier together, working together, and we're all in this together. Plus, the OG Healthier Together deck can all be found at healthyconvo.co. Okay, I love you, and I'll see you next week on the next episode of the Healthier Together podcast. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should at least be simple. That's why for more than five years now, I've been drinking AG1. It's just one scoop mixed in water, and it makes me feel energized and focused without any kind of caffeine jitters. I discovered AG1 after a ton of research because I was looking for one simple habit I could incorporate into my day that would support my entire body and cover my nutritional bases. No matter what the rest of the day looks like, I know that I'm getting essential brain, gut, and immune health support. I just mix a scoop of AG1 into my water. I think it tastes delicious too, which I know people are always nervous about, but I think it's like a tropical vanilla flavor and I crave it, especially because I associate the flavor with feeling so good. Of course, we're always trying to eat our fruits and vegetables and balance meals over here, but nobody is perfect. So AG1 helps support me with 75 vitamins, minerals, whole foods, or superfoods, and adaptogens. I especially love it for all of the travel I've been doing. I think it's a huge reason why I still feel so good and have avoided getting sick despite being on a plane a few times a week for so much of this year and having to eat out so often. AG1 is rigorously third-party tested, which you know I always look out for. It also has less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, and no artificial anything. AG1 is one of the highest quality products to elevate your health, and that's why I've partnered with them for so long. So if you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3 and K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash Liz Moody. That's drinkag1.com slash Liz Moody. Check it out.